Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have co-founder and CEO Igor Talatnikov of AlphaPoint, a financial technology company helping make e-liquid assets liquid. They enable customers to launch new products and services by providing institutions enterprise-grade blockchain solutions to digitize assets, launch markets, and reduce operational costs. So your dad was an engineer when, uh, you know, when he first came over, but he, uh, he became an entrepreneur and that's how you got the bug. Talk to us about that just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, my dad was an engineer along with my mom. They worked at the same company. You know, he ended up leaving uh, and starting a wholesale import business of Russian crafts, right? So he would import uh, Bogorodsky toys, nesting dolls, kind of the stacking, you know, hand-painted dolls, Ah. Um, you know, Fabergé eggs, hand-carved Santa Clauses, you know, that's that sort of craft. And, and you know, I, I got to see him do that. We actually spent, my, sp- my summers were really spent getting in a minivan with him with a, you know, a car full of goods and then driving around, you know, Ohio or down south or up north, you know, from Pennsylvania and going on these like two, three week trips wow. uh, to, you know, find new accounts, visit old accounts. Uh, and it, yeah, definitely laid the foundation. You know, I saw everything he did from negotiating with vendors, um, you know, importing the goods, uh, you know, ta- you know, finding new, new customers, you know, door to door, sometimes in cities, sometimes, you know, with other tactics. Uh, and, you know, I think the reason that I went and got a, you know, a marketing major, uh, my brother got a finance major, you know, my dad lacked two specific things in his business. He was very crafty. He was you know, very good at, you know, making ends meet and, and making the business work. Um, he wasn't well capitalized, right? Okay. So my, my dad, my brother went kind of the finance route and he would sometimes put, you know, thousand to $5,000, you know, handcrafted Santas or nesting dolls um, on, you know, $20 shelves, right? And, <laughs> and there's, there's the marketing aspect that was definitely, definitely missing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think in, in, in some small way, we kind of were looking at, okay, what skills was he missing? What did we not learn? How could we help, uh, you know, with the family business in one way or another? Interesting. Okay. Now, were you thinking when you went to school, hey, right after I graduate, I'm going to help my dad run that business? Was that the plan? Or did you guys talk about that? Yeah, you know, I think, I think it was kind of, it was always like the, you know, an easy option and like backup, backup plan. Um, And my dad ended up, you know, my brother was older, right? So when he left, uh, when he left college, he he actually partnered up with my dad, and they did, you know, a couple different things. You know, some things in real estate, but then a, more in uh, online media, and they actually acquired websites. So they started buying up websites and well, basically, you know, turning you know website properties that had traffic into you know revenue generating, um, you know, properties. 
you know, similar to real estate, you get rent, you know, online, if you have online real estate, you would get rent from the, from the eyeballs and the, and the advertisements. Right. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, Vadim, my brother ended up kind of building a company out of that, but I had exposure to, you know, both the online media side and some of the things they did afterwards, but straight wow. out of school, I didn't end up, you know, partnering up there. I, I went a different direction. But lots of influences, though. So your dad definitely was an entrepreneur at heart. I mean, he was look sounds like he was always looking for for things to start and go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was definitely an entrepreneur at heart. You know, he he's told me stories back when they were in Russia, and you know, an entrepreneurship was much more difficult. Or you know, borderline you know not legal there at certain points in time. They they did they did things with uh, like my mom sews, right? So they would like sew, you know, little pieces of clothing and things like that. And they had kind of these little side businesses or side hustles, you know, that just, I mean, all, all above board stuff, obviously, but, you know, yeah. just, just selling, you know, little crafts that they would make themselves. Uh, so Very I think cool. he always had the bug, you know, um, you know, definitely got an education to do something more in mechanical engineering, but I think always was drawn back to, you know, running, and controlling, you know, his own business. Wow. Lots of influences on you and your brother, by the way, did your brother go to Penn state too? He did. Yes. Wow. Congratulations to your parents. They must be super proud, right? I mean, both you guys now are founders, business owners, both went through Penn state. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah, we like to think so that they're, they're proud of what we've done. <laughs> okay. So that was, that was part of the idea when they, when they moved from Russia, yeah, you know, I think right? it was, it was about kind of the American dream and, you know, we've been able to achieve that in many ways. Good for them. Now, when I, when I think about a, a guy like your dad that came from Russia, I think about a kind of a more, a little more hardcore, a little more like kind of an intense, direct personality. Is that not accurate for him or no? Uh, you know, I mean, it depends. It, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely like direct, you know, as far as like negotiating or business style, you know, it's like, here's how it is. I mean, I think there's definitely more of a negotiation aspect. You know, I find many times, you know, I, it took a while, I think, for, you know, for my folks to understand that you, you don't go into Walmart and negotiate, you know, <laughs> the price, you know, where like, there's just like a different, like you're European and so European, there's more of a haggling culture sometimes, right? As, right, as far right. as negotiation goes. Right. So there's definitely more of that. Uh, but yeah, it can be very direct for sure. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Aventura, Aventura, Florida, which is north of Miami, I think, right? If I got my bearings right. There's a huge Russian population. And I was doing a consulting assignment for a furniture uh, retailer down there. And I, the heavy Russian population, everybody that came in, yeah, you, it wasn't just look at the sticker price and buy it. They all wanted to negotiate every single thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it's just a cultural thing. Very cool, yeah. very cool. Well, okay, so lots of influences there. Thank you for sharing that personal stuff. So you, you, you get out of school. Walk us into your, into your early career and then how you, I think you eventually joined your brother at Lyft DNA. But kind of walk us through some of that stuff, you know, before, before Alpha Point, if you don't mind. Yeah. So straight out of school, I, I got into a, like a sales leadership program, um, executive training at Ingersoll Rand Security okay. Technologies. So, okay. you know, I really, I moved down to Florida actually to Orlando okay. and did a rotational program there, you know, basically working for different divisions of Ingersoll Rand. They have a manufacturing side where they make everything from, you know, access control systems and, you know, doors and locks and, you know, 
um, things around that physical security and safety uh, devices. And then they have a, an integrated systems division or, or, or did at that time, they've spun that out since, where basically they would go to schools and hospitals and military bases and help them secure their perimeter by installing, servicing, maintaining, you know, the access control systems, the video surveillance systems, that sort of thing. So, you know, I spent, I spent five years with Ingersoll Rand in multiple locations, both in Florida, and then I moved out west to California. Uh, at the time, you know, uh, Vadim had been, you know, he had founded uh, Lyft DNA, which he was the CEO of. Uh, and that was, you know, based on the experience that he had with my dad, you know, acquiring websites and basically turning them into profitable, um, you know, um, online, online real estate effectively or online properties. Mm -hmm. uh, he took that skill set to a different company and then spun off and, you know, made his own company, wh which really Lyft DNA was designed to help large websites monetize better. So if okay. they have, you know, direct sales forces, anything that the direct sales force doesn't sell, they would automate and basically find the, the highest bidder for a particular impression for online media and display advertising. Uh, so, so while he was building that up and growing that, and he ended up, you know, growing it to, you know, a little over 50 people, I believe. They were doing, you know, a billion ad impressions a month um, that they were processing through the platform. So, you know, real scale. I, you know, he, he had tried, you know, we had talked about him recruiting me at different points in I'm time. Sure. Yeah. Uh, while I was at, at Ingersoll ran out West, I actually started helping uh, Vadim, you know, at Lyft DNA really on kind of the sales side. I closed a couple accounts on the West coast. Um, and then Lyft DNA ended up being acquired by OpenX, uh, which is, you know, large ad exchange, largest competitor to Google. Uh, so Lyft DNA was acquired by them. Uh, they're based in LA as well. And then after that, I moved back east. You know, I moved back for personal reasons, uh, left uh, Ingersoll Rand, and, you know, to, really to start a family, you know, with my wife back, you know, close to family. Uh, and Vadim basically, you know, and I partnered up at that time. You know, he had exited Lyft DNA uh, and we started uh, Svetlo, which is, you know, an early stage. Um, you know, entrepreneurship kind of in incubator and seed investor uh, okay. in the online media space. We did some things in digital payments, you know, and eventually stumbled across, you know, Bitcoin and the blockchain, which led I us see. to Alpha Point. I see. So Vetlo was funded by the money from the exit from Lyft DNA. Most That's likely. right. I, I, I got, That's okay. right. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you got, and you guys did that for a while. And so you worked on Savetlo until you came across, did you, did you start, walk us into Alpha Point? Cause I think you, did you yeah. start consulting for them or you were they, were you an investor there? Walk us into that relationship. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So, so at Svetlo, we were looking for opportunities in media and kind of, you know, we were looking in, in other sectors as well. We had made some investments uh, but, you know, we weren't really investors. We were more operators, right? We like to be hands-on with the company, possibly mm -hmm. put some capital in, but really put in the sweat equity and, you know, try to help the company grow, raise capital, um, and do, every, you know, everything around that. So yep. the way we stumbled across, for, first, uh, the way we stumbled across Alpha Point was we had another uh, venture that was trading uh, cryptocurrencies, right? So had kind of learned about cryptocurrencies kind of early uh, in 2013, uh, this is when, you know, one of the first, you know, big, you know, price spikes had happened um, and started trading and doing arbitrage trading strategies between uh, between exchanges. 
And what that that did is that led us to go to, you know, attended a couple uh, conferences. We went to Inside Bitcoins in Las Vegas. We went to Inside Bitcoins in New York. Uh, And at that New York conference, we actually met uh, we met uh, Joe and Jack, the technical founders of of Alpha Point. Uh, so, really, the you know the experience was we were we were looking for relationships with exchanges at one point, and then we were looking to actually start a business because we learned about Bitcoin, we learned about the blockchain, we thought this was the future of you know value transfer and the future of money, uh, and decided you know we didn't know how to jump in or what we were going to jump into, but we decided we we needed to to get involved full time. And we started talking to investors, some investors that had invested in Lyft, some investors that hadn't invested in Lyft, but, you know, really wanted to. We were talking to, you know, Josh Koppelman at First Round Capital and a a bunch of other firms as well. And really to understand how the VCs were thinking about the landscape, the, you know, the landscape of what was going to happen in Bitcoin. You know, there were infrastructure providers, there were wallet providers, there were exchanges, there were service providers. Uh, and based on that, we start to build a thesis of, you know, problems that existed in the space and how to fix some of those problems. And I uh, really stumbled across the Alpha Point on, you know, we had a concept of creating a, you know, Charles Schwab of Bitcoin, you know, just okay. a super simple way to buy and sell, which didn't really exist. Um, and, you know, providing some advanced portfolio management tools, things like that. And we evaluated actually Alpha Point as the backbone to power that venture uh, that we were going to invest in. We were going to have other other um, you know VCs put money into as well. And what ended up happening is you know we really liked the technology, we really liked the team, uh, and we thought that hey, there's there's an opportunity maybe here to partner up versus doing something you know from scratch. So uh, both Vadim and I ended up you know joining full time, putting capital in raising the first seed round. That was back in 2014, June of 2014, almost exactly a year after, after uh, Alpha Point was founded. But, but you're now, but you, when you put the money in, you're co-founders now. So you, so there's really four, four co-founders then. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that's right. So yeah. So Joe and Jack were the technical founders. You know, we had, we had met them maybe six to eight months after they had started and yeah. they had just kind of gotten their first okay. customer. They were evaluating different business models. Right. Um, you know, yeah. so we really kind of came in to help capitalize yeah. the business, really create it into what it's become. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And, and nobody was doing this. There wasn't, there wasn't a platform that somebody could use to, there, there wasn't an e-trade for cryptocurrency back then. No, no, there, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't an E-Trade. I think, you know, Coinbase was just kind of, you know, uh, starting at that point as well, right? We've been in the space now for seven years. Um, There, you know, there were some, you know, exchange kind of focused businesses out there. Mt. Gox, you know, was kind of the primary exchange where the majority of the volume was going through. There were some, you know, um, firms that were kind of up and coming and, you know, Bitfinex was growing uh, exponentially there. Bitstamp was around. What there wasn't at the time uh, was, you know, a white label technology provider to, you know, help uh, folks around the world that wanted to start an exchange in Brazil or Canada or, you know, somewhere in Europe, uh, the technology backbone to do that, right? And that's really the technology that AlphaPoint created. And that's still our primary business today is powering marketplaces around the world to enable, 
uh, you know, traders or, you know, retail or institutional buyers to just buy and sell cryptocurrencies or security tokens or other digital assets that are on top of blockchains. So in layman's terms, can I ask it this way? If I had a buddy and we wanted to start our own e-trade company, we had the marketing and the, <clears throat> I don't know, the brand idea to start an e-trade that was just for cryptocurrency, but we didn't have the software or the developers or any of the, like you said, the, the, you know, the infrastructure to do it, we, we would call Alpha Point. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, ab absolutely. Right. So Alpha Point does, you know, the technology, we can do the hosting, you know, technical support, um, you know, and then our customers do, you know, they have the regulatory, you know, piece in their local jurisdiction, uh, the banking relationship, and they do all the marketing and kind of first level customer service. Right. So we're, we're really a software provider. We build technology. We can host it or we can, you know, put deployed on prem with customers. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're strictly on that side of it. And we do ha we have customers that have no technical expertise. Right. They have no developers on staff. Uh, and then we have customers that have 100 developers on staff. So it's it's really dependent on what the use case is and what the vision is. So how big is the company today? I don't know how much you want to you know, uh, give us here on this podcast, but I know that, uh, and I saw the news where you got, I don't know, five or $6 million, uh, this year, I think, uh, from an investor that's public knowledge, I think. Right. And yep. just talk to us about the size of the business and where you're at with funding. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So, so we, you know, uh, you know, really the first capital in, you know, outside very small kind of notes, uh, was a, a million and a half back in 2014 when, when Vadim and I joined, uh, we just, you know, with this last 5.6 million that we raised and announced this year, uh, we were up to almost 24 million dollars in capital, you know, injections into the company. So, wow, you know, we've wow. had we've had a long history, and we've, you know, we've kind of seen the the ups and downs of the crypto market, and and have invested heavily to build the technology that we have. Uh, you know, I can say as far as size, I can say we have. You know, we have dozens of customers. We've had over 100 customers, you know, to date uh, at the company. Uh, we have active customers in over 20 countries around the world. Great. You know, some regions, the majority of Bitcoin trading uh, is done on our platform. And, you know, revenues, I can say, are north of 10 million, you know, nice. on, on an annual basis. Nice, so, nice, nice, nice. All right. Are you, are you cash flow positive yet or are you still uh, in the in the scale up phase? Can you touch on yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, no? it's it, yeah, that's always a decision. You know, when you raise capital, you're typically not cash flow positive. Yeah. Uh, but we we yeah. are now, you know, operating, oh. especially with what's going on. You know, we've we've structured the company to to operate profitably. Very uh, good. If we need to. Very good. Good for you guys. Wow. Who, who's uh, better at asking people to write a check, you or your brother? <laughs> My brother. <laughs> is he? Yeah. Is he? Well, he's the finance guy, right? So oh, okay. Okay. you know, he's. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's very good at kind of the structuring and, and that piece. And he's still involved. He's on the board. He's the chairman uh, of Alpha Point. Uh, and, I then, see. and then I run the day-to-day -day as CEO. So let me guess, he can structure the deal. But what if, what if you're trying to talk this investor into writing a $5 million check and he just, you know, it just takes some, some, uh, some people skills. You got to take him out for a few drinks and just kind of make sure he likes you. That's probably more you than your brother though, right? I'm just guessing. I, yeah, I think I think it's both, right? I think, uh, yeah. Look, ultimately, the relationship with investor—it's it's definitely a relationship. You need to have yeah, a relationship right. and a foundation of trust, right? Yeah. That's yeah. you know that's that's always important, you know. And um, yeah, so I I I think you know in working with there's definitely investors that I've brought on board that you know that 
you know, I've led the deals at, at various stages and, you know, it depends on the, the time and the, and the prospect. Can you talk about who's in control? Like who, who's got the majority control of cap table or we can't go into that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's still a founder, you know, majority cool. owned, you know, Very company, good. you know, between, you know, Jack, uh, Jack, Joe, Joe Ventura, you know, the C, uh, CIO, Jack Salen, who runs support now, um, you know, myself and Vadim, wow. you know, it's still founder, founder, majority owned and controlled. Okay, so I just want to summarize for you, because I think this is a big uh, congratulations moment. So you're telling me that this thing is what, six years old? Or how many years old? So we're, we'll turn seven in June, so yeah, six seven, and a half. Six yeah. and a half, seven years old. You've raised a total of like $24, 25000000 million, but the founders are still in control, and you're now cash flow positive. Boom. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. I mean, not everybody can say that. You, I know you're, you're cruising past that like it was, you know, like it's, oh, yeah, we're here. But, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, man. Congratulations. Yeah, appreciate it. And, and look, we have, we have great investors. We have great partners. You know, uh, Galaxy Digital invested $15 million in, in 2018. Awesome. You know, so they're certainly on the board as well. Um, you know, and, and we just added an independent director, um, Tim Sheavy from Janney. He's the CEO of Janney which is, you know, a billion dollar plus uh, broker dealer in the space. Congratulations, man. Really awesome. Now, are there ever those times when the chairman, who happens to be your brother in case the listeners weren't paying attention, are there ever those times where you and him just want to be like, listen, bro, you know, take a hike. Like you're getting on my nerves. So if you just, you know, any, any fun stuff you want to share where you and him just kind of go at it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're brothers, right? So there's 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 definitely going to be friction from time to time, but yeah, look, we've we've always been close, you know. So we we have a good relationship and a good working relationship. Uh, but yeah, of course, you get you get yeah, yeah. you know yeah. um, into into all kinds of you know situations and disputes from time to time. Now, when you go when you meet for Thanksgiving, is it business or you guys try to stay away from it? You know, you know it's it's funny. So, you know, I think that we get this from our father as well, but you know, there's almost no, like we have a lot of non-business conversations and we talk all the time about other things, but I rarely is there a conversation where business is not touched on at all. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember, I remember, uh, you know, we'd go on vacations when we were young and my dad would, you know, it'd always be business. We'd be on the Jersey shore wherever, you know, and my dad would be going into, you know, a store trying to sell them nesting dolls. Like it was just, <laughs> it was just part of, you know, it was always on the back of the mind. And, you know, so that I think, I think we've inherited that. Is your dad involved at all? Was he an investor or is he retired? What's his, what's his deal? Uh, he's, yeah, he's mostly retired. Um, you know, he, he, I know he invested, I think, and left. He's not involved uh, directly in Alpha Point now. Well, but he's got to be super happy with you guys. Um, let me ask you some entrepreneurial kind of moments here for the listeners, because a, a large part of our audience, they're either startup founders, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs. So talk to me, what, what are uh, a couple of big time scary moments that, you know, you woke up in a panic uh, or you woke up in a, in a sweat in the middle of the night and you're like, Oh shit, I don't know if this is going to work out. Anything you want to share with us? A couple of, couple of big time scary moments through, uh, throughout some of this yet. Yeah. I mean, look, I, as an entrepreneur, you sometimes are running a company with, you know, months of burn wet of, of runway. Right. So it, it's kind of, 
it's kind of an always, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, you know, when's the next customer going to come or, you know, so we've, we've had a long history at the company, right? So there are plenty of times that, you know, you really need to close that investor. You really need to close that sale and you've got to put it in, you know, above and beyond to make sure that happens and, and it doesn't get away from you. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's always something that kind of keeps you up at night if that's happening. Luckily we're not in that situation today. Uh, but in terms of the, you know, some, some moments like that early on, you know, with, whenever you're dealing with cryptocurrency, right, there's the opportunity and the possibility of sending, you know, Bitcoin into the void. You can, you know, there's no bank, there's no middleman, there's nobody to go complain to if, you know, you didn't receive a transfer, you sent the transfer to the wrong address, right? Mm, so, mm, mm. so there, there are sometimes, you know, almost anytime there's like a large transfer back in the day before you had more sophisticated clearing and settlement systems, you would, you know, send it and you would just kind of cross your fingers and, you know, want to make sure that that, you know, $100,000, you know, reached its destination and you gave the right address or you sent it to the right address, you know, when you're dealing with large sums. Uh, and there's, you know, anybody that's getting involved in Bitcoin, if you're creating a, a key, make sure you back it up, make sure you store it in multiple places, because there's been so many stories of people that, you know, had Bitcoin, you know, when it was $20, then it went up to 10,000 and they can't find, you know, that 25 Bitcoin they got, you know, back in the day. What? That, that, oh. that sort of thing still happens today, right? Oh. So, yeah, you know, you just remind me of hard drives. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You just reminded me of something that I, I think I, I wasn't, it didn't really hit me till just now. It's scary to be an entrepreneur. It's super stressful to be a CEO. But when you tie that all into an industry that is still, I don't know, would you say it's still an infant stage? Maybe not infant stage, but when you tie that all to a, an, an industry that's still, uh, what's the word I want to use? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's early. It's, it's yeah, still early. In early stages, you know, and, you know, things haven't been worked out. It's like highly technical, right? So, and there's, yeah, there's there's different risk factors at play. Yeah, it's, it definitely creates another level, an element. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've had in, in our past, we've had times when, there were security incidents that affected customers and, you know, luckily we have insurance and we can make our customers whole and that's what we've done, you know, and since then we haven't had issues, but the, you know, if that, in the midst of that type of situation, you know, very, very stressful, you know, to, to make sure that everything's okay and, you know, everybody's going to be all right. Um, so yeah, it, definitely, definitely lots of ups and downs uh, in the, in the space. Can I ask you this? Is this a, um, a relatable example, you know, back when uh, people were trading gold and they started handing out paper certificates that backed a, a certain amount of gold somewhere like physically, um, and and people people said, hey, we gotta we can't carry around these bags of gold. We gotta have paper. We gotta have a better way to do this. Um, is that kind of what you're going through? I mean, a little bit. You're kind of like saying, hey, this old cash system, coin system, dollar bill system, like this this doesn't work. We're gonna we're gonna switch to this other thing. Is it is it kind of relatable like that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it it is, you know, and you had bearer bonds and like the piece of paper, you know, owned the underlying asset. And if you lost yeah. that piece of paper, sometimes that's an issue. Yeah. Uh, so, 
for for Bitcoin, the like the easiest way to explain it is <clears throat> there's a problem with with you know payments online. From a merchant's perspective, when you get paid with a credit card, sometimes the transactions are reversed because of credit card fraud. Somebody stole your credit yeah. card. Yeah. They go yep. and they buy something online with that. Yep. Uh, then you see the transaction. You say, I never bought that. You know, that's not my address. Mm -hmm. It was shipped to. And you mm -hmm. reverse the transaction. In mm -hmm. that in that situation, it's the merchant that loses, right? Because they they don't, you know, they get the, the funds clawed back. They just shipped, you know, whatever the good was. And it's, and it's done. And that's why companies like Overstock.com and, you know, others, they, they don't ship to you know, Nigeria, for instance, because the credit card fraud is so high, wow. they won't ship to that market, right? So what Bitcoin uh, did is uh, it made transactions unreversible because there's no bank, there's no credit card company to go to, to I complain see. that, hey, I never received it. So it's, it's some, you know, sometimes a little bit more risk for the, for the individual, right? Because they can't kind of claim it back. But from a merchant perspective, Overstock can now ship to regions of the world that they never shipped to before, uh, wow. as an example. Uh, well, and that's why wow. you know, some, some firms like that were early adopters. Uh, so the, the problem that Bitcoin really solved was, uh, like if you take a picture, you, know, you take a picture of your wife, you send it, you know, who owns that picture? That, that picture can be copied you know, and replicated you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of times with no real control. What Bitcoin did was it made a system uh, that makes it impossible to replicate, you know, the Bitcoin you hold, uh, it's yours, right? And there's a, there's a f finite supply, there's only so much of it, and I can send it to you by having something called a private key. Um, I can send it to you by unlocking those funds out of my wallet and sending it to you. Nobody else without that private key can, can take those funds. And that's the system that since 2009 has really proven uh, and prevented that double spend problem. I can't clone my Bitcoin and send it to multiple places. And now that's been applied to you know, hundreds of other blockchains and it's now being applied to other assets as well. Wow, <clears throat> sounds like there's lots of benefits. And by the way, being a former executive of consumer good companies, yeah, chargebacks from consumers are a pain in the ass. I'm trying to remember what the percent, the average chargeback percentage for transactions is, I don't know, one, one or 2% or something like yep. that um, for, for an average retailer or an average wholesaler. Um, damn, if, if, if I could grab that 2% back as a big time retailer, why, not, why don't they all just move to this and get away from credit cards? <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of firms now that accept you know, Bitcoin for payment or other, other digital currencies. It's basically digital cash, right? It's the same as like you go into a store with some cash, you know, it's a, it's the digital equivalent of cash, um, mm -hmm. which makes it really unique and make and, and it really does make it popular with merchants. It's more about you know how widespread it, is it. I don't think every single person in the world is going to use it until you have central banks start to I issue their own digital currencies, which has been happening. This stimulus bill that just happened, um, you know, that was passed. An earlier version of it had a central bank issued digital currency, you know, component to it. Really, uh, that I don't think passed, but you can see central banks, you know, and and governments around the world are thinking about this because it does remove friction. It removes certain problems from from the financial system. Will the entire globe just be trading bitcoins and move away from all these different countries that have 
different, you know, uh, dollars and, and things like that. Is that where it's going? You know, I, I, you know, that's, that's, uh, definitely not a crystal ball I have access to, you know, I, I think more and more, you will have central banks, you will have, you know, monetary policy. I think that assets in general, whether it's a dollar, um, you will move into a digital form more and more. Right. And, and you will have central banks issue their own and it'll be widespread. I think Bitcoin has its own use cases uh, for, you know, for regions like Argentina that have hyperinflation, uh, you know, it's heavily used, right? It's heavily used because it is safer and less risky to hold a Bitcoin than it is right. to hold, you know, the local currency. Right, right. Because, right. you know, so value can be, you know, um, through hyperinflation, you can just, your life savings could be wiped out. This can prevent that. Uh, but you also have something called stable coins that are pegged to a dollar or pegged to other currencies that offer similar benefits, um, you know, to, to have kind of that, that lower volatility than, than local national currencies. Here's something that I may be uh, speaking out of turn on because I definitely don't know the industry, but you said moving towards digital. I mean, we're already kind of there, right? Like there's not really printed dollars for all these funds that banks say they have, right? I mean, that cash yeah. isn't actually, that physical dollar bill for every fund amount for every bank across the globe isn't actually setting there, is it? No, absolutely not. Right. It's, it's not, it, it's not setting there. And, and yeah, by, by digital, I think there's, yeah, there's kind of everything's digital, you know, for right, the most part right. already. Right. Yeah. The majority of financial transactions, you know, by volume are, are done digitally. It's right. more about uh, using a similar mechanism like Bitcoin, uh, the underlying blockchain that stores it's, it's the public ledger of who owns what balances. I think that's the piece that is going to be used more and more across gotcha. asset classes. That's gotcha. very uh, because, good. Yeah, yeah. because you, you have certain things like an easy example. Uh, when you buy a home, you have to buy something called title insurance, right? And you right. buy title insurance because it's not 100% clear that the person who owned the home prior to you actually owned the home, right? And title insurance protects against claims later that, you know, somebody else yeah. had a deed, a paper deed and, and this and that. You, you can apply, you know, if you apply blockchain, you know, on a national scale and some countries like Estonia are doing this uh, to title, you eliminate the need for, for title insurance. And, mm. you know, you kind of kill that industry for that particular service, but it's, it's just friction. And it's just cost. Right. Mm. And I think ultimately technology and, you know, what, what's happening with technology is it, it really strives to eliminate that friction and cost and ultimately will win right? Just because it's a more efficient, more effective way to do things. Um, and, it, and it eliminates other problems. Like you have, you know, a government takeover in certain parts of the, the world and they, they erase the history of the title, right? And redistribute <laughs> right. wealth right. In, that, in that type of way. So, you know, it can kind of future-proof, you know, democracies in some way wow. Wow. Um, as well. Hadn't thought of that. Okay, very good. Boy, fascinating topic. I know we're already getting close to the end of the time here. I want to ask you just a couple more questions. Don't want to, you know, keep you past your hour. Fascinating uh, story and uh, awesome information. Thank you for sharing it. No problem. If you had, if you had to give some uh, last-minute advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, a couple of brothers out there thinking about starting a business together, what would you tell them? Yeah, look, you know, find what you're passionate about. You know, I think, I think a good 
a good signal that you're onto something is that you're, you know, you're just obsessively reading about it. You know, you're digging in, you know, I think it's the way I look at, you know, also hiring people, you know, I, I love, I'd rather hire somebody that is extremely passionate about a subject mm. versus somebody that has tons of experience, you know, it, and if you have same level of experience and one person's passion and one person's not, you just know that person's going to, re, you know, read in their spare time, learn about the topic, you know, and become, you know, the expert. And as an entrepreneur, if you want to win, you have to be the expert and you have to be the best in whatever you're trying to, to be and trying to do. And if you're, if you don't have that passion behind it, um, you know, that's, it's, it's going to be much harder or possibly impossible to, to win compared to somebody that's going to, that's going to be there and, and going to be hungrier. Totally agree. If you had to um, call that 21 year old kid coming out of Penn state and give him some advice, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? Yeah, look, you know, again, I think if you're, if you're interviewing at a, at a company, right. If you're looking for a job that, uh, in a particular industry, you know, do your research, do your homework and, and try it. You know, one of the questions I ask for anybody that interviews at Alpha Point, do you own cryptocurrency? Do you own Bitcoin? Our, our business is powering exchanges around the world, right? And, you know, just the fact of you owning a little bit, even if you don't know a lot, right? If mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't have to earn a lot, just the fact that you've tried, you know, says something that you spent the time, kind of did your homework, you know, I think, I think that's huge. And yeah, look, you know, coming out of Penn state, you know, sky's the limit. And, and uh, yeah, we've, we've got a few Nittany lions here. And uh, <laughs> do you go to yeah, the football we, games, by the way? Did, yeah. You, you know, I mean, probably not this year. Right. But um, you know, but you, we'll, we'll when see you what were, happens. When you were in school though, you got to go as a student. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully pa painted up and you know, Sweet. did the whole, the whole thing. So yeah, no, <laughs> Yeah, Penn State football is, is yeah, to be reckoned with. Oh, that's pretty cool. If uh, Last question here. If you had to put your core purpose in life into a sentence, and I encouraged you to push that beyond your, your wife and, and two kids, who I'm assuming is the automatic primary core purpose, but if we kind of looked past that, how would you define your core purpose? core purpose in life today? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's some sometimes when you're like in a business and you, you know, you're kind of in it so deep and so hard, you know, those those lines can kind of blur, like what's mm -hmm. my personal purpose and kind of the company's purpose. Yeah. I, I think that I've always, you know, striven to, you know, make sure to contribute back, like, you know, pay it forward in the community. You know, I think, um, you know, I really see my purpose as finding ways to leverage technology to make a, a more equitable world, you know, a safer, cleaner world. Mm, um, and you know, my passions have always kind of lied around that, whether it's kind of solar energy and, you know, um, you know, ways that that can kind of help improve, you know, or like open financial networks, which is the space I'm in now, you know, it, it, it has the opportunity and ability to create a more equitable world uh, that's more fair, you know, for participation of those involved. Very good, Igor. And by the way, you, you are giving back. Uh, and a perfect example of that is doing this podcast today and sharing your story and giving lots of good advice.
for the listeners, which I appreciate you doing. Thanks so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I'm going to hit stop on the recording, but hang on just a second before you hang up. Okay, sir. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, no problem. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.